You know, one of the really great things to do at night once you get out of Melbourne is to, and you get out into the country is to look at the night sky, isn't it? It is amazing. When I go up to my son's place outside of Bensdale, it's a great thing to wake up during the night, which I often do, and I go outside and I look up in the sky and I'm completely struck with complete amazement at the sheer magnitude and the beauty of the night sky. My city eyes have got used to streetlights and neon signs. And it's almost like you have to readjust your eyes to the night sky. A good friend of mine um, often tells me about being able to see Mars in the sky because of its red tinge, or better still, the brightness of Venus. Unfortunately, our night skies in Bourne are so full of light pollution um, that we aren't able to easily distinguish, especially to the untrained eyes like mine. And they all look the same to me. Well, in ancient Middle Eastern days, they didn't have a problem with street lights or neon signs. The night skies, every night, were being full of stars. Countries east of Palestine had developed extensive studies in the night sky and they believed that the world was connected to the sky and that if a major event took place, it would be shown in the night sky. Likewise, if they saw something in the sky, it would be announcing something that was about to happen on earth. Um, there's a lot been written about um, what was in the sky that Matthew writes about. Some have suggested it was Haley's comment, but you know what? It was ruled. You know, it couldn't have been. It was just the wrong time. It always has a cycle. It always comes back in the same space of time, and it had appeared in 12 and 11 BC, 12, around 12 or 11 BC, which would have been far too early. Um, there's also has been suggestions that it could have been a supernova. Well, it could have been. But there is, one, there is one that I really like, and I'm going to share it with you. I'm not saying this is foolproof. So the one that I like most, and, and makes a lot of sense, is the fact that the planets Saturn and Jupiter were in conjunction. In astronomy, a conjunction occurs when two... astrological objects such as asteroids or moons or planets or stars appear to be close together in the sky as they're observed from Earth. The last conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter took place on the 31st of May 2000, while the next one is expected in late December uh, 2020. Well, this also happened three times around 7 BC. There is a suggestion uh, around this theory that ancient times Jupiter was known as the royal planet and that Saturn was often referred to or seen to represent the people of Israel. So you can see how this would conjunction could easily jump to this conclusion you think about it, the royal star is in alignment with the Jewish star 
together. It's easy to translate. A new king of the Jews. So I like this theory. Okay, and it's only a theory. We, you know, we don't know. We weren't there. But I like it. It seems to make sense. It, the timing seems to be right. Well, I think it sounds convincing, doesn't it? But like I said, we can't be certain that it was that that made three men to decide to take a journey and to come from the east seeking a new king. Well, whatever it was, there is no doubt that when these astronomers saw something strange in the night sky, they would have automatically tried to have made sense and to seek out an earthly counterpart, an earthly explanation to what they were seeing in the sky. And if, as it seems, they were quite wealthy, uh, then the journey of this magnitude would have been no problem, especially to satisfy curiosity. Sometimes, uh, sometimes um, we, when we read Matthew, we think that these, royal, that these visitors were royal. Nor, uh, sorry, when we think about them, we think that, that they were arrived at the same time as the, uh, as the wise men, don't we? We seem to see them in the stable. I mean, you look at the pictures that we see all the time on Christmas cards, uh, images of the nativity, with Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and the wise men, all in the stable. Well, not so. As I said over Christmas, when I was talking about the animals in the stable, um, when Jesus was born, and I said the animals weren't there, Likewise, the wise men aren't at the stable at the same time as the others. It would appear that Joseph and Mary lived in Bethlehem for some time. And I'm pretty sure that they would have moved out of the stable. And they didn't move. We don't read about them moving to Bethlehem until much later in Matthew. What Matthew is telling us is a political story and a quite a dangerous one. He is saying that, the, that Jesus, the true king of the Jews, and Herod is the imposter. King Herod that we read about in this uh, chapter in, um, in Matthew dies not long, after Matthew, uh, not long after Jesus' birth. But his sons rule on. Herod Antipas will play a significant role in the life of Jesus later. But Matthew uses the word magi to describe um, these three wise men. It could refer to them being magicians or astrologers or experts in interpreting dreams and other strange events. With the arrival of the magi, Matthew wants to be clear. Whilst Jesus is the rightful king of the Jews, he also wants us to realise that Jesus' rule is not restricted to or limited to Jewish people. The essence of many prophecies about the Messiah also comes with the predictions that his, rules, his rule will, be, will bring justice and peace to the whole world. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, it is quite clear. We hear Jesus himself commission his followers to go 
and make disciples of every nation. This is how the prophecies of Jesus' worldwide rule will come true. So, at the start of Jesus' life, as a baby, there is a sign of what is to come. The gift that the Magi brought were the sort of gifts that people would have expected in the ancient world that were appropriate to bring to a king. In fact, they wouldn't have been out of place to be placed before a god. This story at the beginning of Matthew's gospel also points to the end of the gospel when Jesus comes to face to face with the representatives of others who think they are kings of the world. In Pilate, Caesar's representative, Caesar, who thought he was king of the world. Pilate will have a rather different gift for Jesus. It's, uh, it's amusing, though, that Pilate, like the Magi, was also warned in a dream not to do anything to Jesus. Pilate's, Pilate's soldiers were also the first Gentiles since the Magi to call Jesus King of the Jews. They don't crown him with the crown, though, do they? They crown him with a crown of thorns. And rather than a luxurious throne, it's not an ornate chair, is it? But a cross. At the death of Jesus, rather than the bright star appearing in the sky, there is a sudden and eerie darkness. And out of that darkness, we hear a single Gentile voice saying, yes, yes, he really was God's son. There is also something else you might consider when we read this story in Matthew. I'm sure we all had a lot of fun and joy giving and receiving presents over the last few weeks. But this story begs the question, what are you bringing to Jesus? At the start of the new year, it's a great time for us to think about what gifts we have, what gifts we are not using, and more importantly, what gifts and talents, what abilities would we like to explore? Now is a great time. Now is a great time to think about and to plan ahead for this year to offer and to bring your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your offering to Jesus to use this year. Amen.